Humans Having Discourse Podcast. Discourse? You mean like it's just people talking? Wisdom, politics, religion, anything, everything with Ethos Ananda. Okay, hello world. It's been a long time since I had a, a guest here on Humans Having Discourse. Today, we are graced by Shravaniya Deepekararo. Did I say your name right? Oh, yes. Okay, excellent. So I met Shravaniya here in Hong Kong just a couple weeks ago at Krishna Janmastami, a big festival here. We instantly hit it off talking about the so-called pandemic. <laughs> and uh, I thought we could have a great chat and uh, she can tell us all about her work and um but first uh anything you'd like to say to introduce yourself uh, me uh well i guess uh my name is travania which rhymes with mamma mia so it's not that hard to pronounce and um Shravania di Pecoraro, and uh i'm a initiated disciple of his divine grace ac bhaktivedanta swami Srila Prabhupada. Uh, I took initiation in 1971. I started studying yoga in 1969 in St. Louis, Missouri. So, uh, so um, let's see. And uh, I took off uh, going to different uh, ISKCON temples uh, all over the place. I don't know how, what you want me to uh, describe. That That's fine for... Uh yeah, just basic intro to start, you know. Um, I'm mostly curious how you ended up here in Asia. I think a lot of people are curious about that. I have my own curious story about it. So um, I know we, we talked a little bit about it. Did you, you first came to Taiwan? Is that right? Uh, no, actually. Uh, okay. Um, right. When I was in Detroit, uh, I was pushed into an arranged marriage when I was 19 years old. And uh, that lasted two years, and he renounced me in uh, New York. So when he renounced me, I told the temple president, I'm going, I'm leaving. And he said, where are you going? And I said, Juhu, I'm going to Bombay. So I went to Bombay because I had met Palika, Sri Prabhupada's cook. And um, we hit it off really good. And so uh, I went to stay in Juhu for a while. Prabhupada was there. And um, um, Koshalya Dasi uh, took me over to Jaipur and to uh, um, the Krishna Balaram Mandir. We were there on opening, you know, way back then, in 1973 or 74. Um, and what else? Let's see. So that's that. And then I was in Juhu and I had to, uh, oh, oh no, it was um, uh, the temple president of Hong Kong wanted to leave. Panchadavita Swami wanted to go and do something else. So um, I met a new uh, partner, and uh, that husband uh, was asked to go to um, Hong Kong. So I, I went with him. And I loved it. I loved Hong Kong. It was great. Uh, stayed for a couple of years. And then um, uh, went to, um, went back to the States. 
but I was so attached and attracted to uh, Hong Kong and China that I learned Mandarin in uh, New York City. So I took the course of Mandarin and um, ended up back uh, in Taiwan in 1983 and um, stayed for six years and then came to Hong Kong after that. And in the meantime, um, okay, so it's a bit like that. Cool. Yeah, I had the same kind of attraction and attachment coming here to Chinese culture, Chinese language. It's actually kind of hard to get away from it now that I've been here a while. <laughs> um, and so I noticed you're also an author. You've you've written a bunch of books. You do other courses and uh, you're an astrologer so you do readings too right yeah I learned uh, I learned astrology by myself uh, over here because I got divorced in 1986 and I moved back to Hong Kong by myself in 89 no friends no family I'm here alone so I started to connect to uh, my um, guidance you know and uh, tarot cards i didn't believe in tarot cards i believed in astrology because that's mathematics but somebody did a reading for me i said how do you know that and she says it's, it's in the book you know i said can't borrow that book you know and i borrowed her cards and borrowed the book and i read for myself tarot every single day and um it helped a lot because i was working i was uh, teaching yoga and um working for myself and things were very very moved forward and progressed nicely um but uh, i did readings for myself and i did readings for friends and when the friends introduced their friends well, okay all right charge a little money for that so that was how it, it got started it just naturally fell in my lap in 1992 so i've been doing professional readings since 92 and studying and what i find interesting is that the astrology, um, it actually demonstrates what you uh, find in the Vedic teachings. What do you mean by that exactly? Um, it, it shows that there are higher powers and it tells you more about them. You know? um, and it shows how it affects our lives. Because there's a law of nature, there's laws of nature. and. Um, if you break the laws, then you, that's called sinful activity. Nobody uses that word anymore, but um, that's the cause of trauma. Now, people talk about trauma and about healing. Well, yeah, but what is the, what is the disease? What's the problem? You know, breaking the laws of nature. So, um, astrology shows how those laws show up in our individual lives. They show uh, the natural tendency of this lifetime that an individual has. And I, I find this very, very important because in astrology, you can find out if something difficult is happening in a difficult time, you can find out what is the meaning of the time, what is the lesson, and how long will it last. You can find out how long it's going to last. And it's just so exact. So uh, I just find that very helpful for helping others make decisions themselves, help me make my decisions. Interesting. Um, for as for me with astrology, I'm I'm still not sure about the whole thing, but I've gotten a few readings, and uh, I guess I've gotten 
two readings. One was years ago in uh, Vermont. Uh, mm-hmm. fr- a friend of mine got into it. He became very obsessed with it. And he said, come on, let me do a reading for you. I said, you know, sure. And uh, <laughs> um, you that straight when you did this. <laughs> um, wavy. maybe not completely straight but um (laughs) um it was a good reading though like there was there was a few things in there i was like whoa that kind of like struck uh struck a chord Mm -hmm. but um not much else though you know it was kind of like more like confirmation than anything else and then um i did a that was a like a western zodiac kind of reading and then I did a, I got a Vedic astrology reading in China just two years ago. Um, I sent my birth information to uh, Takur Prabhu and his wife, who lives in Houston. You may know her, uh, Kalindi. Um, she does, yeah, she's into astrology too. And uh, so she gave me back this you know massive report uh, maybe a hundred pages of stuff um and so that's kind of had the opposite effect on me where it's it's like too much so i'm not sure what to do with it but um yeah it's definitely fascinating um i think one thing that maybe not turns people off or kind of agitates skepticism is is the degree of exactness we can get in astrology. So you you said a few moments ago that like it astrology can show us like the the trends of our life and where we're going. I think that's true. I think that's where astrology can um can work really well whereas a skeptic might say oh those astrologers you know they tell you you're going to have two point two million dollars when you're exactly 47 years old oh you know they can't possibly know this sort of stuff and i think that's where the straw man comes in you know of like of making it portraying it as something which it is not so what are your thoughts on that (laughs) well it depends on what the astrologer focuses on um i've had people come to me and ask me uh when will i get married and how many kids will i have and I don't predict that kind of stuff. That's up to you, you know. Um, uh, or when, when am I going to die? I don't focus on this kind of stuff. I focus on uh, what, what you're intending to do and how, what you need to do to, to achieve that and, or relationship um, tendencies, how the dynamic is, what's the problem, how to fix it, this kind of stuff. I'm more into psychological, Western psychological astrology. I, I've read uh, one of my favorites is Stephen Arroyo. He's my favorite. Uh, next favorite is Liz Green. Um, they're they're really good at interpreting these sorts of things. So that's what I focus on: is how to help the individual make decisions. Okay, I see. Yeah. So. Do you, does that mean you also use the Western Zodiac, like the 12 signs? Yes, yes. Have, okay, interesting. So you have you ever tried the, the Vedic system? Yeah, I had Nalini Kanta, my godbrother. He did a chart for uh, both my sons. 
and um, he was very accurate. Mm. Nice. One thing that's is what the takeaway from my Vedic reading. Now it's coming back to mind. Um, Rahu. <laughs> I have a big presence of Rahu in my uh, in my chart, and that actually like made a lot of sense. And it still keeps like because I've always been like an outsider, and I think the the way I saw it on the chart, I was like, oh okay, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about your books. Um, I'm gonna. I have your website open here so people can see. Do you see the? Uh, yes. The, okay, so we're at barefootphilosopher.press. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I noticed you have this book, Basic Bhagavad Gita. So is this like a, a translation of the Gita, or a guide to it? What is this exactly? This is a study guide, and that is actually the second uh, edition. Um, the first edition we published in 2004, um, and uh, I self-published this. Um, this one is done by KDP, uh, Kindle Direct Publishing through Amazon, and that makes it very um, easy to get. And so about this basic Bhagavad Gita is uh, kind of like the, the thumbnail, what you need to know before you get started studying. It helps explain it to someone who has no uh, background in it. And, Excellent. Uh, and um, my, my students who I taught Bhagavad Gita courses to find it very useful, very helpful. Yeah, I think this is um, a great service. It's definitely something I would say is essential for many people. As for myself, I've always been into ancient texts. So when I first found the Bhagavad Gita as it is, I just consumed it in, in its entirety. I, I couldn't get enough of it, actually. But for even even my friends who are, you know, my age, went to the same schools I did, and they're interested in it, and then they, you know, sometimes they'll start to read it and they just get thrown off by how foreign or exotic or ancient, and it's just hard to I'll get into it. The, what is the problem is after three Sanskrit words, the brain shuts off. <laughs> Three Sanskrit words, and I don't know what we're talking about here, you know. So I use English expressions, and I'll put the um, the Sanskrit in a bracket so that they can know what that means. Because Sanskrit terminology, I love it. It is very specific descriptions of metaphysical levels of of life, which you don't find. Everything else uh, you find uh, in other places is so vague, but vague uh, descriptions, they have specific words for things. Would you say that Sanskrit is similar to Chinese in that way? Uh, I, don't, I don't know too much about Chinese. I can speak a little bit, but um, ancient Chinese, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, as far as ancient Chinese, I don't know. But as far as the characters in daily use, I do think there's something similar there, where there's a an incredible level of depth in these in the character the Chinese characters, well, and then a lot of meaning. Well, um, yeah. But um, what I'm referring to is uh, the Sanskrit terminology for um, functions and levels of uh, metaphysical experience. Mm -hmm. 
and reality. Yes, that's where Sanskrit is best, of course. Consciousness, metaphysics, yeah. So I try to um, bring that to the attention of the students so they can see what's going on on those subtle levels. Mm, excellent. So here are a few more books. Can you talk about these? Um, Alchemy and Gemstones is uh, The Planets and You. This is um, a lecture I gave at the Hong Kong City Hall back in 2001. Um, I gave a lecture to a, a group of uh, people there who were very interested in it. I recorded the lecture and then I transcribed it and then I add another section where I describe things in more detail. And I give uh, data references and I give references to other writers who are well known. So uh, it gives, uh, tells you what vibration the, the different gems are and how they relate to the planets. And um, so you can kind of get an idea of vibration frequency. Is this uh, how the how astrology can be effective is the vibrations from different planets and stars in, in, and our own vibration and the connection there? Is that that's true. That's true. Um, you know how uh, we, in, in, uh, we understand that there are different gods in different planets. When the gods influence uh, your life, they don't come in front of you with a sword and a shield and threaten you, you know. When the gods influence your life, they do it through your subtle body, your mind. They do it through that. And that's what the, um, the planetary influences are. It, everything is um, matter and spirit. Spirit is the thing that makes the, that takes action through the material energy. Matter can't work by itself. You know? Yes, yes. will not run if somebody doesn't touch the button and turn it on, you know. It won't run. Yes. Versus like that. Mm. We'll talk, we'll definitely talk more about the subtle body. Um, Alchemy is really interesting. Uh, that's a, uh, a rabbit hole I haven't gone into yet. <laughs> um, ancient teachings, modern perspectives. What kind of uh, subjects do you go through here? Well, those are, are my observations uh, when I was a yoga teacher. And um, these are just essays uh, uh, that I wrote about different subjects. Like uh, I have one article in there, Caring Carnivores. You know? um, it's about uh, being vegetarian or not, how important it is, and this idea that um, it's not important. You, you could eat meat and still be a really spiritual person, you know, um, but not according to Bhagavad Gita. That's uh, Tamaguna, and that's not the level of sanity. So. Um, Anyway, uh, but I do it in a very light-hearted manner, and I also have a friend of mine, um, Barbara Dudman, who is an activist for animal, um, animal rights, and uh, so she wrote something in there as well, so I included that. It, it's interesting. It just makes you think. I don't try to tell people what to think. I try to 
to tell them what I think and give them some references and then they can figure out what it is they think and according to the references which are Vedic, uh, does my does my viewpoint uh, correlate with this or how is it different? You know, it starts starts the wheels moving. Because it's important, we are responsible for what we do. We have to face it. So we need to have information so we can make good choices, not just be dragged around by our senses. Yeah, if I, the way I see it is like, if I'm gonna be dragged around by something, let it at least be a higher something and not my little animal senses. <laughs> you know, I, I, I observed that the, the senses are like uh, bosses that are never satisfied and never give you a day off. You know, they're, they're unrelenting uh, uh, bosses that masters that tell you what to do and they're never happy with what you did and they want more and they never give you a day off. That's what the senses are like. <laughs> that's a good a good analogy they are definitely never satisfied that's for sure if you get what you want you want more if you don't get what you want you get angry so lust anger and greed are all tied at the hip they're all tied at the hip what would you say to someone who says well i will just fulfill all my desires and then I won't have any karma anymore. Oh, okay. So you're posing a question. Um, well, you have to be satisfied with enough. You know, you have to be uh, satisfied with enough is enough. Um, but if you do it uh, in cooperation with the Supreme Spirit, God, and you say, you know, I have these desires, but I want to do it your way. I want to do it in a way that is pleased, pleasing you. So if you like, you can grant me, and I'll just accept whatever you decide. And he does that. In fact, I personally experienced that, that once in a while you have a desire that won't go away. It won't go away, and it won't go away, and you have to do it. And I found out that that is God wants you to do that. This is what he wants you to do. It's not about gratifying some sexual urge. Or, I mean, something higher than that. Mm. It's something you that won't go away. That is your destiny. To figure out how to do that in line with the laws of nature and nature's God. I agree. And... Uh... You know, hearing you say it sparks in my consciousness those things specifically that I just can't get away from in a good way, like teaching. And uh, another thing I'm kind of obsessed about is judo, actually. And uh, that it's it's required, you know, <laughs> because you know sometimes these these miscreants that not sometimes, all the time, they won't stop. Till they get knocked down, handcuffs put on, thrown in the paddy wagon. They won't stop. You can't reason with them. You can't, you know, talk them out of it. You got to just stop them physically. So judo is good. You. Wow, excellent. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'll tell a quick story about judo. The last time I did judo was 
uh, in New Zealand, I met a, a black belt uh, just staying at the hostel where I was. And I said, Hey, let's, you know, let's go spar. Let's go find a spot on the ground. And we did just right outside the hotel. You know, we gathered quite an audience. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that was my first time doing judo on the grass, which I thought would be nice because it's kind of soft, but it, it's not, it's, it's pretty hard. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Yeah, and we uh, yeah we were both pretty bruised up and didn't want to walk at all the next day, but it the funny thing that happened was that night I couldn't sleep, I, my mind was so bewildered by oh how can I counter that move how can I do this and it, it just you know sparked this thing inside me that just like mm-hmm. was good it's a higher thing like what you're talking about of constantly you know how to maintain the flow state and effectively how to improve in that state. And that's, it's just like overwhelming for me and positive. And it's unfortunate. It's hard to, to practice. You need a dojo, you need a partner, same body type. So hopefully I'll figure that out soon. Mm. So here are two more books, Karma and Reincarnation. That seems self-explanatory. <laughs> that one, um, I, that was a, a talk that I gave in Hong Kong probably in 2016. And um, I transcribed it into a book. And we are going to have it translated into Chinese. Uh, we have a translator and expect to have it ready by Chinese New Year next year. Excellent. Great. And uh, the yoga, basic yoga sutras, that looks interesting to me. Is that uh, connected to Patanjali? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, but uh, this is the Ashtanga yoga system, and it focuses on the yamas and niyamas. This, um, um, you know, K. Patabi Joyce, who um, was the founder of the movement of vinyasa, Ashtanga vinyasa yoga, um, he said, yoga is an inner practice. The rest is just a circus. And the inner practice is something that is just left out. It's just not, not taught. They, they touch on it and then they go on to something else. Um, because the inner practice is uh, so different from our common, our, our culture now. The culture, popular culture now. Um, it's almost antithetical to it uh, because the uh, popular culture now is you are this body and joy, you know, but the, the yoga culture is uh, I'm spirit. I'm not this body. And so um, it, it's, it's, there's different uh, reason to do different things. So yama and niyama um, are the, um, the Ten Commandments of yoga, basically. And the Ashtanga system starts, yama, niyama, asana, asana is third, uh, pranayama, pratyahara, dharna, dhyana, samadhi, um, some more Sanskrit words, but um, the yama, niyama comes before asana, it's the inner practice. So it's, it's ethics and morality, and I explain in very easy terms why that makes sense. Um, and what happens if you if uh, you do the opposite? There's trouble, the kind of trouble that is, is caused by it. 
So um, it really makes makes you think that maybe this is worth doing. So I, I basic yoga sutras, it's not for scholars, it's for everyday people. Written in their own language. Cool, and it focuses more on the, the inner side of things. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. But it, it does cover the all, uh, all the um, eight limbs of yoga. Just explains them, but the main important thing is uh, um, controlling your mind and body. If I control, I'm the spirit within. If I control my own mind and body, that is character. If I try to control someone else's mind and body, that is evil. That's the definition of evil. I'm trying to control your mind and body. Uh, unless they happen to be your child, then, then you, that's for their own benefit because they don't know what to do. Um, you see the difference? Totally, yeah. I, yeah. I love ethics. That's one of my focuses. Um, and yeah, especially in recent times, I've been thinking much more about evil and what evil <laughs> really means. Um, so the, the, the loose definition I use now is like evil is, is pushing your vice onto someone else. So if someone is like, like they're trying to control their body, their mind, and they just kind of not very good at it, they make a mistake and they go, oh man, that sucks. I think that's not evil. That may be bad, but it's not evil. But if someone says, oh, what I'm doing is bad and you need to start doing it too because that's good, you know, that's that's where the the whole world is inverted and that's evil. <laughs> and wicked is, is even worse. Wicked is uh, wanting to see someone else suffer and laughing at That's good seduce someone to do things that are bad for them, knowing that they're bad for them, but they don't know. That's really good. Yeah, yeah. That's That word wicked is like... It's funny, like, it the, the, what it stands for is worse, but I think in English we hear the word evil and we... We immediately, I, at least I think of like uh, concentration camps and like death chambers. Like I, I typically jump right to like the worst possible thing. But uh, I think I think there can be small evils, tolerable evils, big evils, <laughs> insidious evils, in your face evils. That's, that's what cowardice is. You tolerate something that should not be tolerated. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So you've also got some audio things yeah. here on your site. I haven't uh, listened to these yet, but they're all free, right? Yes. Okay. Anything else you want to mention? Um, well, uh, I did uh, some um, courses, which were uh, Yoga Alliance certified courses. And... Um, I gave out certificates to the participants. Uh, it was a study, guided study courses, and they went through uh, Bhagavad Gita and they went through Yoga Sutras. We haven't done Srimad Bhagavatam yet, but um, I've got a book that I, I've already written and we're going to publish it next month. Um, it's uh, about the 
some excellent stories from the Bhagavad Purana, which are dramatized. They're written in such a way that it's very dramatic. And I followed the um, Bhagavatam as much as possible. Um, and then I have, uh, but, but I had to put some uh, expressions and some gestures and things like that to make it come to life. I used to write scripts uh, for uh, performances. We performed for Kalpad before, like into players in New York. Um, and uh, these are very uh, moving. There's a lot of uh, lessons and teaching you can get from them. And so, that's <laughs> um, what's coming up. Mm, excellent. There's, there's a, a, you're showing the um, thing about tarot, scary tarot cards. There's a, a, a recording and there's an audio there. If you click on it, then you can listen to me talk about it. How these scary tarot cards are not really scary. They, and I tell you what they mean. Yeah, that's, there's the... This looks like a, uh, a coaching program you do for life path, finding a life path. Uh, life path is uh, what I call my uh, astrological readings. Ah, okay. I do numerology, astrology, and tarot to answer their questions of things that they're concerned with. And I have a blog where some of my things are written. Excellent. Cool. All right. So that is Stravania de Pecaro. Di Pecoraro, that's Italian name, right? Pecoraro means shepherd. Wow, yeah. beautiful name. That's what it means. And not a shepherd who eats the sheep, <clears throat> okay? A shepherd who takes care of the sheep because they don't know which way to go. So the shepherd guides them, stay away from danger. Here's where you go. That's a tough job, but someone's got to do it. Uh, so let's talk about the soul. This is the main reason I wanted to talk with you. Uh, you mentioned you were researching, especially the, the subtle body mm -hmm. and um, kind of the mechanics of that. So first of all, I, I think this is a tricky question, but I'm wondering how you would define the soul. What is the soul? How I would define it, um, according to um, Vedic uh, Bhagavad Gita, um, so, the spirit, Atma, spirit self, right? But what we are encountering here in the material world is conditioned souls. What does that mean? Spirit is, uh, spiritual energy is eternal, it's conscious, it's full of knowledge and bliss, okay? Um, it's a person. And the eternal spirit is covered by material energy in a subtle form. So a spirit covered by a subtle body, and whatever he sees, he sees through the lens of that covering. And that covering is conditioned by three modes of material nature. And it is impressed with, uh, it has the impressions of his past karma, which is called vasanas, the impressions. So, when we're talking about a soul, um, I would point out that there's two levels, spirit and the, and the covenant. 
Now, sometimes they call the covering the soul. Sometimes they call the covering psyche, psych. Sometimes they call it chitta. In Sanskrit, it's called chitta. All right, and that covering has waves, waves uh, created by different things, and those waves are called vrittis. So the first uh, uh, sutra, yoga chitta vritti nirodha. Yoga means to stop the waves uh, of uh, in the chitta, the covering, stop the waves. Right? That's what it says. Um, so the, when the living entity, the spirit, identifies with this covering, and it's it's almost like a virtual reality, like a video game or something. Oh, I'm yeah. Oh, I won! Yay! No, I lost. Ooh, yeah. And it's all happening in the subtle covering in the, in the gross body, in the in the, uh, in the field of matter. Um, so the spirit, I call it spirit, and in the Bhagavad Gita it's called Atma, self. Jivatma. Jivatma. Uh, jiva means uh, alive, right? But jiva means the in individual living entities. Uh -huh. Paramatma means higher living entity, the higher self and the individual small selves. So there are different categories uh, of spiritual, um, in the spiritual plane. However, what we find when we uh, get off the beaten path here on the earth planet is uh, anything that's invisible they call spiritual. But I, I, I have a problem with that, okay? That is, that is too vague. Um, there's a, a lot of metaphysical, um, invisible, material existence around us. It's not spiritual, okay? Just because uh, you can't see it doesn't make it spiritual. So, you know, we're going to talk about this subject. When we say spiritual, we mean on the position of, of the eternal living beings. We don't mean the subtle body. Now, the subtle body, uh, that is the thing that you have to understand better. Um, the other day I was, I was um, inside and there was Typhoon 8. Remember that? Typhoon? And the windows were rattling and the rain was pitter-pattering and the wind was blowing. And, and uh, I was inside and it wasn't affecting me because I was sheltered inside. And I said, isn't this kind of like what happens in your mind when you get upset? There's a storm that's going on, happening, but it's not really touching you. But you know it, it's there, and you could open the curtains and watch it, you know? But actually, it's not affecting me, and that's just how the mind is. There's an upset, emotional, Thing happening, the argument, storm, whatever, and um, it happens over there in, in the uh, subtle body. And to become self-realized means to know that that's not me. I'm not my mind, and I'm not my body. Now, when I was in the temple, I used to hear all the time, you're not this body, you're not this body. Yeah, not this mind either. Hello, you're not this mind either. That needs to be understood. So how can I identify myself? And how can I identify what's going on in the mind? And how do I deal with it? Oh, that's in Bhagavad Gita. Yeah. 
And then Yoga Sutras talk about how to deal with it also. Right. So the Yoga Sutras, it seems, are really dialed in towards that kind of filtering metaphor you used of like uh, like cleaning the filter around the soul so that instead of, well, first of all, instead of attaching ourselves to this material subtle body covering, we first detach and then we we clean it so we can see through it. And when we see through it, That's then we're... Niyama is all about it's clean, cleaning it. Yama Niyama is for cleaning that lens. So you come to the platform of goodness and then you can see things as they are. But that's not, that's not the complete thing with yoga, all right? Uh, the Yamas and Niyamas end with Ishvara Pranidhan. Ishvara Pranidhan, surrender to God, surrender to the Supreme Controller. That is the uh, last Niyama. It's not just one thing you could try it's the main thing. Let's just imagine you get, you, you buy a ticket, you get your bags packed, you get to the airport on time, you're sitting in the lounge, and you don't get on the plane. You don't get on, you don't leave. What, if you don't get on the plane, what, do you, what are you doing all that for? So my point is that if you don't do Ishvara Pranidhan, what are you doing yoga for? It's like you're sitting in the airport and you don't go anywhere. The whole thing is to bring you to understand the higher self. And you have a relationship with him. An eternal, loving relationship. And that's what Prabhupada uh, taught us. And uh, this needs to be understood. But you can understand this. You need two things. You've got to come to goodness. Okay? And you have to want it enough that you get invited. It's the spiritual master finds you. I, I, was, uh, I was 18 years old, and I, I was listening to Ram Das. Ram Das was saying, how you have to have your guru, you have to have a guru. And I said, how am I going to get a guru? I can't go to India. I'm sitting in St. Louis on my sofa. Um, I can't go to India. How am I going to find my guru? My guru found me. You know, he came to, to uh, Boston. And he uh, came to New York and he came, uh, he gave me initiation from London by post, you know. I was got initiated uh, by post. It was great. So the spiritual master, uh, he, he told us, go find more. Share this. He called it preaching. Share this. Um, so that's our job. And so when I write books, I'm, I'm sharing in a way that they can understand so that they, and I point them to there's more with Prabhupada's books, this one, that one. And it's all online. You don't even have to buy books. You just go to a database uh, or, or Prabhupada.io and everything is there. All you got to do is just learn how to use it. And anything you want. That is the beauty and the curse of the internet i think because it's all so thoroughly free and available and there's so much of it the the skill these days is actually not only finding the right sources but all but knowing when to really stick with it to the end yeah. and uh, most people especially in the west are just dabbling they're dabbling for most of their lives and then they 
try again the next lifetime. See this? That works. See this? He's describing this. Remember, even Lord Jesus Christ, when he would heal somebody, in the Bible, every time he healed somebody, afterward he said to that person, now don't sin again. In other words, don't make the same mistake you made that got you all messed up like this. Don't mess it up again. Jesus said, don't sin again. They, I don't hear that very often, you know, when I hear talk about Jesus. But he made, he made the point, don't do that again. One thing uh, that took me off guard, not off guard, I don't know what the right word is, <laughs> just something that jumped out in the first definition you gave of the soul is that the soul is a person. So I know that the soul is part in the jiva, the atman, the individual soul is part and parcel of the supreme soul, God, Bhagavan, right? And God is a person. But um, so in that sense, it makes sense that every soul would also be a person because it's part of a person. But um, how, how does that um, compare with souls and animal bodies, insect bodies, tree bodies? They're all people in there? <laughs> yeah, they're in a state of forgetfulness. And there's 8,400,000 species and they, they go up. They take the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one. And when you get, you can't understand God unless you get a human body. Then you can understand. But um, not every, not everyone wants to understand. They want to just do what animals do: eat, sleep, mate, and defend. So um, they're no better than animals, leading an animal life. But if you take advantage of this and you um, Try to understand and go to uh, authorized sources, really good sources. Um, ask questions um, and then try it. It works. That's the thing I love about this, about the yoga and this. Uh, it works. It's the science of self-realization. You do it, it works. And then the science of God realization is even better. And it works. So. It's stunning. You don't. You need faith for about two weeks. If you start doing this, bhakti yoga process, chanting, hearing, um, you know, and etc., offering your food, you only need uh, faith for about two weeks because then you start seeing the results and you go, "This works." It's really amazing. So many, so many of my god brothers and god sisters, they just have these amazing realizations and, and you know i'll be chanting and I'm, I'm i'm grinning from ear to ear and i can't stop i don't know why i'm just chanting and i'm smiling and feeling happy and raising my arms and you know it's because that's what it is that's what it is Anand, you should know a thing or two about that <laughs> yes yeah. um <laughs> it's it's, it's big when you Krishna's name and Krishna are the same. So I'm smiling because he's there. Yeah, you know, that that part of our theology that the name and God himself being the same, you know, it makes sense to me, like very 
kind of easily in conceptual way, but to fully accept that in my heart is like crazy. I'm I'm nowhere near at that point. I think it's inconceivable. <laughs> okay, I'm glad you agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so so the living entity in the body of a dog or a cat or or a, a, an ant is um, the same quality as in a human being. And guess what? The higher self is there too. So, so God is in the heart of every. You can go on Java Walk, and any creature you see, any snail that's crawling on the ground, and any butterfly, just meditate on the fact that the higher self is in their heart. Paramatma is in there. So you see two lights, one big one, one small one, in their heart. That kind of meditation is fun, and it's real. Just picture it. Just think about it. Any stranger I pass. God is in my heart. How can I not be nice to them? So the, the big light is God, the small light is the, the jiva? Yeah. The soul? The living, the living entity, I mean. Mm. So, so I was going to ask you how we can know the soul, and it seems you already answered that question by, by engaging in bhakti yoga, which has been called the science of self-realization and God-realization. Now, as for me personally, I'm fine with that as a as a label, but I know a lot of people, they hear the word science and they think microscopes, telescopes. So, so what are what are some of the like the nuts and bolts that you think make it a science, make it repeatable, let's say? Um, well, it, it, if you do the process, it works. Okay, you have uh, let's say you, you're chanting and you're hearing uh, scripture and then the next time you something goes wrong and it's about to be an argument and then you don't get into the argument because you realize that this is just something happening in, in my chitta. There's some dvesha vrittis, some, uh, you know, reject, uh, repulsive uh, um, uh, waves. You know, there's raga and dvesha. Raga means I want, and dvesha means I don't want. And so you're having some of these dvesha vrittis, these waves that are, oh, I don't like this, I don't want this, you know. You see that is happening in the mind, and you don't, you don't get into it. Or you, you see somebody else is having this problem, and they're, they're pointing at you, but you're not doing anything to them. It's in their mind, so you don't hold it against them. They're going through what they're going through. And you just, uh, you know. So, and it, and how, how did I get here? How did, how did I get to this kind of a realization? It must be from chanting my rounds. You know? And this, this realization you're referring to, which I think you and I both have to some degrees, uh, would that be called bhuti? Bhuti. Um, bhuti. Okay, so now we're talking about physics of the subtle body. Okay, the subtle body has uh, three main functions, manas, buddhi, and hankar. Now, uh, buddhi is in the intelligence. They're, they're very different. And I read about this um, in my books. And... Um, so manas is the level of mind that 
forms concepts, makes connections, uh, puts together plans. Um, it accepts something and then it rejects it. You know, on the mental platform, the platform of manas, there's no morality. Okay, one second uh, it's accepting something as okay, good, and then the next minute, wait a minute, then this happens, and then, no, no, and it's fickle. This level of of the mind is fickle among us. Um, you'll be talking to somebody, and there's a pop up in your head. They say, "Hey, you remember that you went there one time with so and so?" That's manas working, okay? Um, but so what you need is uh, intelligence that can make moral and ethical judgments. That's what you need because you're going to be responsible for your act actions. So you have to choose your actions wisely. Choose after discernment. It's the booty that can think. If A is B and B is C, that means A is C. If, if doing this leads to uh, realization, then it must be good. If doing that leads to addiction, then that must be no good. So it can, it can discern what is right and what is wrong. Um, and um, it needs to be cultivated. But guess what? Nowadays, the word judgment is not a good thing. The word discrimination is not a good thing. And guess what? Those are two functions of the intelligence. In other words, we're discouraged from using our intelligence. Why you yeah. do just, just do what we're doing. Yeah, um, I had a close encounter with this recently. I had to sign something from my online English teaching company. And it's that it doesn't really apply to me. It's for their community forums, which I never go on. But it said, absolute zero tolerance policy for discrimination. I said, okay, I guess we can't be intelligent in our writing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so is um is buddhi would is that what you would call character? Oh, it's, it's helpful, but um, my, my understanding of character is when I control my mind and body, and booty is a mechanism for that. You have to have booty in order to control your mind and your body. Just like, here you are, you're in yoga class, and your mind goes, oh, I'm thirsty. Uh, she's keeping us in downward dog so long. I mean, like, this is just too much. So, I'm thirsty. Your mind wants to, you to stop the asana and Pick up your plastic bottle and drink, okay? The, the, the Atma within, using the intelligence, hey, wait a minute, we're not doing that. Get over here and do, I'm trying to do downward dog, okay? Just be quiet for a minute. So th that's discrimination. That I, uh, that's not what we're supposed to be doing right now, okay? Uh, another thing that I've noticed in yoga classes is a student will come and they'll do something another teacher taught them. When I'm telling them to do it like this, they're not trying what I'm saying, they're doing what the other teacher taught them. And they don't, there's no intelligence thinking, I'm not gonna learn anything, why am I here? You know? So that sort of uh, discrimination. Uh, oh, we're in this class, let's do this and see how it works. 
Or maybe the teacher might might be put off and not like me if I if I don't do what they what they're saying. You know, they, they don't think like that. They just yeah. So um, intelligence is useful. It's used by the, the spirit to control his own mind and body. That's character. So it seems like um, Bhuti and Atman, somewhere in between those two is character. Am I right about that? Or uh, um, maybe it's something that Atman uses. Okay. But um, the ahankar, the false ego, it can uh, cause problems because it can um, it can interrupt the booty even it can interrupt the intelligence. False ego that identifies with a tribal group uh, or uh, identifies with uh, a, a nationalism or uh, it, you know false ego bodily identification. Um, it will. It will stop interdict the um, booty from doing its job. So that false ego has to be dealt with. It seems like false ego um, causes more problems than it solves, but it's all like. But at the same time, there there must be you know a very critical reason it's there, which I think is to protect the self, right? A oh, false ego. False ego is um, it's the knot that ties us to matter. Hmm. Ego is identity. False ego is misidentifying. Real ego is I'm a servant. Service is my nature. Either I'm going to serve those masters who are never satisfied and never give me a day off, or I'm going to serve. A really sweet master who just loves me to bits. That's Krishna. He, he knows he feels worse about our suffering than we do. So he keeps coming after us. Yeah. So this when when that service attitude is is taken away from serving the the physical senses, and it's turned towards serving the higher self. And I'm not my higher self, and I will never become my higher self. The higher self is my best friend. And we have an eternal loving relationship. So higher self, as you're using it now, means uh, Paramatma, right? Yeah, it means the Supreme Lord. Okay. So I'm still really curious where, like, which Sanskrit word we would use to describe character in the sense that you know, having even the highest intelligence and realized wisdom would still just be a part of our character, right? Character seems to be something a bit greater than than just booty. But it, but it, but it's not pure atman, right? Because because character is something we cultivate and improve, but the atman is perfect, right? Perhaps uh, what you're thinking of is expression, proper self-expression. Because what is the point of being a self if you don't express it? Right? 
So we have the soul in the center of everything, right? And I'm especially curious what is kind of what what is just outside the soul but just inside the subtle body meaning is this is this a uh what's that word osmosis what's the osmosis like between these two aspects here the spirit and the subtle body yeah well the spirit is pure but it's covered by a subtle body now the thing is that uh Tanjali's Yoga Sutra says uh, yoga is to stop the modifications or waves in the mind. Actually, Kapiladev is a little bit more um, harsh. Kapiladev says that the subtle body needs to be cut off with the sword of detachment and knowledge. Anudhyasana. Okay? So he says that ultimately that subtle body is cut off. Now, another places I've heard that it said the subtle body is dissolved. But in any case, it is discarded, okay? Because we don't need it. We don't need that subtle body. That subtle body is only required for you to enter into the atmosphere of a globe within the material world. And in different globes, the subtle body is a different kind of fine substance so that you can live there for a short period of time. Um, but I, I compare the subtle body to software, software to access the hardware of the physical body. So the, the chitta is the um, software and the uh, body is the hardware and the atma is the user. Mm. Atma is the user who touches the now, if, if software gets infected, you've seen this, that the software will act by itself. They'll turn this, the machine on and turn it off, and then will do this and do it with that, and you can't do anything about it. It's acting all by itself. That's tamaguna. That's the mode of ignorance. It's when the, the atma has no, he can't do anything about it. That's when it's really infected. So um, these modes of material nature, different levels of infection. And in the mode of goodness, it's very, very light covering, very light contamination. So that's when you can actually see. But it's up to you. You have, as, a, as an individual spirit, self, you have um, consent. Your consent is the most important thing. Yes or no? So in the end of Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, uh, uh, I've told you everything. Now, think about this carefully and then do what you wish to do. He didn't order him, tell him you're going to go to hell if you don't do everything I have ordered you. You know, this, this isn't the way it works. He re God respects our right of consent. Anybody else who doesn't, you know, God respects our right of consent. Yeah, that reminds me of what you said earlier, which was um, what evil is, is like, is trying to take away someone else's choice to Im impose something on them or to, uh, 
instead of letting them choose, yeah, yeah. We, we try and choose for them, and especially mm -hmm. it can happen wickedly. I'm curious what the connection is between the three modes of material nature and the three aspects of the subtle body. Are they all interplaying in different ways, or is it more of a discrete thing where, like, Bodhi is sadvaguna, you know, ahankara, tamaguna, manas, rajaguna? Is that... Bodhi um, uh, switches on. It's the light switch that goes on in, in goodness, in, in the sadvaguna. So in goodness, the, the booty turns on. Mm. Yeah. Um, then in, um, but even in the mode of goodness, one can be conditioned to happiness. This is stated in the Bhagavad Gita. Yeah. So until you meet a pure devotee and you understand that you have a relationship with the Supreme Lord, you know, that false ego can still be there. They can be in the mode of goodness and have false ego. Um, but it, it, the modes work on the whole cell body, not one of the time. Right, right. That makes more sense. Um, yeah. A story about one of my students. Um, so I, I rarely talk about uh, yama and yama or anything like that in my yoga classes because they came to exercise, so that's what I taught. Um, but this one was uh, more interested, um, and I talked to her about uh, vegetarianism and told her how it makes the mind clearer. And so she tried it, and she told me that after 40 days, my per perception was so different. I saw everything differently in 40 days. See, it works, science. I want to continue with an analogy used about rope. So the ahankara, the false ego, is like tying a knot out of the rope. Yeah. And it seems like, I like this analogy because I, I think it, you can explain all three aspects with it. So the, the buddhi will tell us how to untie the knot. And then the manas is saying, oh, here's more rope. Play with all the rope. <laughs> you just don't have enough rope. You know, that's why you're not happy. <laughs> just a little more, just a little more. Just, 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 yeah. but, but, but. Get a new kind of rope. This yeah. nylon rope. Yeah. Mm. Um, actually, the manas, the aura, you know, um, <laughs> not every thought in the mind is true, okay? And not every thought in the mind is good. Mm -hmm. Get that, especially with intoxication, that the other living entities who are nearby, they're all around us. You can actually hear them, and some of them are really nasty. And they tell you, I mean, certain people kill themselves because the, the spirits nearby are egging them on to do that, making them think that they're the ones thinking that. Mm. It's, it's pretty heavy. And, um, it's something that needs to be understood. So, yeah, I, saying about Raguna is about the rope. This sounds to me like some Buddhas nearby egging you on. <laughs> 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 
right. Excellent. Great. I hope so. <laughs> um, yeah, this this kind of uh, discourse we're doing now, trying to like, uh, you know, hash out the details and the map for the the realized knowledge that I guess we've already accepted. I think this is exactly what Prabhupada would call real philosophy, right? As as opposed to mundane speculation, where we just kind of like, for example, uh, with what you were just talking about, like schizophrenia would be like the the classical like uh, medical term for someone who like hears a voice and then they kill themselves, but or kill someone else or kill someone else, yeah, something really crazy, um, yeah, and um, this kind of thing uh, should be understood. Um, but it's not possible. Right, right. So I think the problem with like with everything I've learned and most of what I've learned in psychology, especially as a major in it, is like we have these little diseases and we 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 know like which part of the brain it affects and we can put in a little drug to reduce the symptoms, but we have no concept of of the outer system in which it's a part. So and yeah, when we, if instead we see it as okay, there's three modes that are happening all the time across every dimension, and then also the three aspects of the subtle body. Mm-hmm. Now we can start to see okay, maybe that voice in his head is coming from this particular place, and then I don't know, work with it like that. Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm studying a book. Called the Spirits Book, uh, which is a really old book it's by Alan Tudyk, and um, I I got this 30 years ago, and um, I've been studying it, and it, it seems to explain um, what I understand when I'm dealing with um, guidance spirits, dealing with my own mind, um, because it talks about ten grades of spirits, and this is uh, what he. He's treated it like science, where he would explore with mediums. He had like a thousand questions. This was back in the 1850s, when they had seances in France, when they would sit around the table, and then they would call the spirit, and the spirit would come in. And um, so he uh, documented all of this, documented his questions and what the spirit said, through the medium, and he had 10 different mediums, and um, then he collated, okay, she's saying the same thing as she's saying. They don't even know each other, but they the same thing. So then he puts together and he made some deductions, you know, about, so it looks like that there's a evil spirit, and then there's um, neutral spirits, and then there's mischievous spirits, and then there's higher spirits, and he would describe them and their characteristics. And it sounded to me like the modes of nature. It sounded like the evil spirits are really, really covered with the weapons-grade thickness of, you know, Tamaguna. And then the, the upper spirits, they're in the mode of goodness. And then he talked, he even acknowledged that there are spirits who don't have any problem. When, it's very fascinating that he, he is discovering through um, exploration and experimenting 
uh, psychologically with others, that um, the, the, the Vedic version is being confirmed. So the ascending, uh, the ascending process of knowledge is meeting the descending process of knowledge, and there, it was it's fascinating. And I'm just really trying to explain it. You know. So yeah, the, you have uh, um, spirits uh, in the manas. They interact in there, and you can hear them. But if you hear something that is wrong or bad, you know, like it, like it says something nasty that you should do to this other person, makes a suggestion, do that to them. Throw it out. Reject it. Push it away. Don't let it reside there. Because if it stays, it will dig in. This is very important. Let the not clean it up. You know? One thing I, I've noticed and I've played around with a lot is the the timbre and like the sound quality aspects of the voice that's happening in my head, which, as you've said, a lot of times it's not even our own thoughts. It's not even our own voices. I'll like I'll hear maybe a nagging voice to do chores. That's from Mama, right? <laughs> and uh, but there's also this. I sometimes notice this like really powerful, inspiring like commanding kind of voice that gives gives me the chills and it really works really motivates me and so sometimes i try to you know you know mentally of course try to like um uh seed maybe to to get the voice to kind of come back more or like just invite it just invite it but here's here's the thing ask krishna for his advice he'll give it to you that's what arjuna had to do I'm a soul surrendered unto you. Please instruct me. Remember? And Krishna stopped talking, uh, you know, casual talk, and then he got on. So if you want advice, ask him. Go to Mangalarti and say, thank you for everything, and please give me your good advice today. And of course, a great friend, a great master, a great lover will always be thrilled to give it. I think. And, and um, you know, it was it was funny when I was uh, in, in the temple, and I would study Bhagavad Gita. Um, I would read the the uh, verses, okay? and I would kind of memorize them. And then I'd be doing some uh, activity, some little. Um, task or, or uh, service and uh, come out of nowhere that verse would come up a verse would come up and i would hear it and i go ah oh, yes, oh, yes and it seemed pertinent to what i was doing and then so so i would hear it, it was kind of a certain vibe and then i started to get suggestions in that same vibe and i said i wonder if that's krishna telling me something because he first spoke in Bhagavad Gita like that. And now I'm hearing a suggestion which is good for me. I wonder if that's him. You know, I would wonder. And now if you just ask him, you'll know when it's him. Yeah, I think he, um, well, you know, part of this is is the mechanics of it, right? Where like, in like the universal form that he shows Arjun, which is like it's so there's so much death and like there's just like we we as jivas we can't handle it. 
we don't have the ability to like to process this sort of stuff. So even for a pure devotee, like Krishna is probably not going to be, you know, saying, giving the full volume of his voice in a very direct way. So he, yeah, he's going to prefer to send us a message through, through a bird over there or through a, yeah, I get lots of messages from sounds like that. <laughs> um, I'm I'm as, I'm curious what is the, what is an aura? Uh, an aura is the subtle body. So the in, the totality of the subtle body is expressed physically as an aura. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Ah, okay. It permeates your gross body. Yeah. Um, and it's in that subtle body that all your comic impressions are. Um, and there's three kinds of karma, not two, not good and bad karma. It's, it's karma that is in stock, which is like a big warehouse of karma from all past lives. Uh, it's waiting. Um, that's sunshit karma. Then there's uh, impressions that I'm creating now in this life that will be acted out later in other lives. That's Vartamana karma. But Prarabdha karma. This is fascinating. Parabdha karma is the karma for this life. It's your destiny for this life. It is your natural tendency in this life, and it is depicted in the horoscope, which is like a blueprint of your process for this life. It shows what's in your toolbox, what kind of facets of your personality are there, you know, shows what your karmic debts are, what kind of challenges you'll meet. Shows what your talents are, these karmic credits, things you've done good, and it just lands in your lap because you earned it. You know, it's all there. And Parabdha karma, the horoscope is Parabdha karma in, in, a, in a visual. You know. So I, I found that fascinating. It, it's just so exact. Nothing is by chance. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> so when when the soul transmigrates, chooses a, a new body, um, it it will bring some karma with it, right? Oh, that's 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 not how it works. The yeah. soul body drags the spirit to the next body. <laughs> oh, so the soul is always trying to go back home, right? Well, so the soul is not. He doesn't know about that. He, he hasn't woken up yet. He wanted to uh, to try to be the controller, the enjoyer, and so on. Um, and uh, he's going from one body to the next, to the next. And if you read Sixth Canto, Chapter 1, the Yamadudas are talking to the Vishnu Dudas, and they explain precisely how the subtle body drags the Atma. From one body to another, to another, to another. This is, uh, they're talking about Ajamya. So the, the Sixth Canto, Chapter 1, got to check it out. It's really, really good. Okay. Yeah. Is there a, uh, a snapshot summary of it you can provide us with? <laughs> it says that the, the urges in, in, the, um, in the subtle body just uh, are endless. 
and they push the living entity to do this, to do that, to do that. And so I'd like to point out that if I'm not my mind, the urges of my mind are not my urges. If I'm a spirit and my mind has some urges, I'm not my mind. So it's up to me to decide whether we're going to do that or not. You know, um, so the urges of my mind are not my urges. Urges in my body are not my urges. Yeah, but those urges never, you know, they'll calm down if you don't do anything about it. But have you ever noticed that if you have an itch and you scratch it, it itches more? Have you noticed? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, but if you don't itch it, 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 it you don't scratch it, it won't itch. It goes away. That's how urges are. You have to think. What is my duty? Um, is, is this uh, in law of nature? Is this, is this my duty? Or is this beyond my duty in this life? Depending on my situation. Can't transgress that. Otherwise, you get trauma. <clears throat> yeah. One thing um, I really want to help others with is ahankara, which I've been really good at um, detaching from. But I also am don't know how to teach it to others. I've, I feel like for me, it's been a long process of many years, long before I even read the Bhagavad Gita, I was doing shadow work and lots of stuff to get rid of my ego, which I knew from a young age, like I really didn't want to be a, I didn't want that thing, you know, <laughs> messing around with me. So I'm just wondering if you have any practical even exercises or, or something we can use to either to witness like when we are caught in false ego and uh, perhaps how how we can limit that or detach from it more. Well, um, okay. Um, Bhagavad Gita, 13th chapter, uh, verses 8 through 12, which talks about real knowledge. Um, and actually it describes excellent character and it talks about humility and, and this really nice long purport um, but false ego I mean false ego means that I'm proud of myself I think I'm my body, my mind and my nation and I'm proud and all this proud no, don't be proud. <laughs> it's not going to last, okay? <laughs> it's, it's temporary. Don't make your happiness dependent on something you can lose. Yeah? So um, I, I recommend this uh, 13th chapter, verses 8 through 12, um, as real knowledge. And that, that will help you overcome false ego. So have a look at that. The illumination to get rid of the darkness, basically, right? Yep, not this body. You know, even if I was king, I could lose it. Mm. That poem by Percy D. Shelley about Ozymandias. Ozymandias. Uh, those two, two uh, feet, and the, the, it's about a statue of a king, and the, and the, the uh, monument is being torn down. 
behold, I am Azamat Leos, you know, be afraid of me, and it's all gone. It's nothing but desert around it. Whatever he had is gone. He's gone, you know. So that that um, very <laughs> really tears it right off the bush, you know, as far as no matter what you get, you lose it. You king of the whole world. Yeah, that's true. It's a very sobering fact, but it's a fact nonetheless. Yeah. So are you uh, working on a book about the subtle body now? Uh, yeah, um, I'm working on a book about um, spirits in the material world, is what it's really about, uh, and about uh, disembodied beings, and about uh, the subtle body, and about uh, the, uh, what we're discussing, really. Um, the self is different from the body and mind. And, um, and putting together Alan Kardec's work with the mediums and the uh, guardian spirits, guides, and so on, the information that he got and how it's confirmed. A lot of it is confirmed. In it. So I put it together. So mm-hmm. we can know more about disembodied beings. Yeah, because this is not talked about it. Because they don't have any information, really. They're not bringing it up. But I've always, I've always been interested in this sort of thing. It seems like this has been talked about a lot in uh, in Christianity, right? Like uh, uh, exorcisms, for example. Would that are those concerning disembodied beings that are, you know, entering in someone else's body? That's what it seems like. The aura, but um, I don't know of what they're doing as far as the exorcism is concerned. Um, there are mantras that are chanted. Uh, you, know, you can protect yourself. It's a mission of mantra. A Hare Krishna mantra will protect you. Even just saying Govinda, Govinda, that'll protect you, you know, from anything like that. But also, you, you can't walk on the wild side and expect to come back, you know. Don't go walking on the wild side taking something you're not supposed to take. Um, and the, the sad thing is that uh, kids, teenagers, get into this kind of stuff from their friends. Their friends offer it to them, you know. So-called friends, not real friends. Um, and it's sad because... Peers. Yeah, they're... they're there's addiction and uh, all kinds of troubles happen. So um, this is not good. Yeah, I agree with that. The, there's a serious loss of culture happening all around the world, I think. Well, this the, is the karmic shift. The Kaluga is like this. Now, for a while it was like that, and now it's going like this, you know, at least for a while. So there's this big karmic shift, and um, astrologically, um, one thing about the United States, um, Pluto travels around in an orbit for uh, 244 years. Now, that's how old the United States is. So the Pluto is come back to where it was before. Pluto is the Lord of Death. Uh, wow. 
said, yeah. So there's this huge metamorphosis that's happening right now. Okay, and it could be that it will split into different countries, you know, and part of the, what was the USA will maintain the constitution and parts will not, will be run by others. It could be, it could be the transformation. Um, I'm not sure, but um, there is a transformation happening. And uh, you can look on my website. I have a, a blog piece that I wrote called Clash of the Titans. And uh, it talks about uh, some changes that are happening right now and how long they last and what they're like. Big shift, seismic shift. Just have to let it happen because it's karma. That means that it's supposed to happen. Um, different generations have different things that they deal with, okay? And um, we just have to uh, go with it and make the most of it. Turn it around, offer it up to the Supreme. Go through it. Amen. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm not sure if I have any other questions. Is there anything else you'd want to talk about? Any questions, anything? Um, yeah, I think we're covered. Uh, uh, any, you want to hear more from me, just look at my books. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Okay, thank you for your time. Shavaniya, Mataji, Hare Krishna. Hope to see you soon, and uh, yeah, let's uh, stay strong in these times, right? Thank you, everyone. We'll see you next time.